Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. My name is Sam Woods, and today we have a unique style of episode because we have two other Bridge the City producers and no outside guest. That's right, folks. I'm also here with Sam. Sam, thank you for that wonderful introduction. Uh, this is Benjamin Rangel, also going to be on this episode, but we're not alone. You said two producers. We also have... Hi, guys. Casey O'Hollick here. Woo! Yeah, this is a fun little Bridge of City party. <laughs> it's been a while since we've had multiple Bridge of City folk on one episode. But Sam, what are, you, what are we doing here? Why, why yeah, have you gathered so- us here? We, we have gathered today to talk about uh, what is on all of our ballots on August 11th. So August 11th, there's a, there's a primary, primary election and there's a bunch of different, there's some, there's some positions on there that our listeners are probably aware of, like um, assembly person in the state assembly or congressperson in the United States Congress. But there's also a bunch of like little, um, very, like very local kind of obscure um, seats that you might not recognize right off the bat. And so we're going to be talking about um, what those seats are, who are, who's running for them, and and kind of get you ready to get you ready to vote here in a couple weeks. Wonderful. And just some dates that are important for people. We already mentioned August 11th. That's the in-person election. Perhaps you're aware of this COVID-19 pandemic. You don't want to go in person to the to the ballot that or to the uh, polling place that's okay understandable i i suggest that you request an absentee ballot the last day to do that is august 6th however the sooner the better Um, i actually have mine already i requested mine weeks ago Um, so yeah make sure you request an absentee ballot if you don't want to go in person if you don't end up getting your absentee ballot in time before August 11th, that's okay. Just you're going to have to go to the, the, the polls, though, to vote if you feel comfortable doing so. Yeah. And remember to request as soon as possible, like you said, Ben, just because the last time we had an election here, we had some trouble with a lot of people requesting absentee ballots. So they got delayed. So definitely sooner the better for, for that. Sam, I also want to point out something about these primaries, and that's 14.5%. 14.5% of people turned out to vote in uh, 2016, the same percentage in 2014. So that's a pretty low voter turnout for these primary elections. Uh, so even more of a reason to show up and show out for August 11th. And so on this episode, we're giving voters, mostly in Milwaukee, an explainer of what's on the ballot and in some cases who is running for each position. Wait, before we get into things, Sam, I feel like listeners will also be interested in how to support the amazing work of Bridge the City. So, well, Casey, I hope can so. I ask you, of course, Casey, can I ask you, have you ever purchased a cup of coffee? Yes, yes, I have. And roughly, if you can remember, how much did that cup of coffee cost? I'd say my oat milk lattes cost me upwards of $5. What if I told you for just $4.14, you could actually become a sustaining donor to Bridge the City on patreon.com slash Bridge the City? That sounds pretty great. I think I'm heading to the website now. All right. We're going to hold you to that, Casey. Uh, Expecting some more donations from you soon here. Uh, But seriously. Up my donations. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Seriously, folks, consider supporting Bridge the City, a local, independent, ad-free journalistic institution in the city of Milwaukee. 
Um, I think we were recently featured, or someone tweeted about us, and they were like, one of Milwaukee's most popular podcasts featured our guest or something like that. So you heard it not from us, but from our guests that we are one of Milwaukee's most popular podcasts, and we would love your support on patreon.com slash Bridges City. You can start your donation at just $4.14. All right, let's get into things. Bridge the city. Bridge the city. Yeah. Okay, so Ben, you were supposed to look into Congress and State Assembly, but you got a bit sidetracked and started looking into some information around ballot design. What did you find? Yeah, so definitely fell down a bit of a rabbit hole, but I just remembered back to my first time voting and how seeing the ballot in the booth was pretty intimidating. And so as I started researching for this episode, I became interested in literally like what's on it in terms of design and how a state decides how to design the ballot. Um, So let me just start by saying that this is specific to the design here in Wisconsin. Good or bad, there's no standardized ballot design for federal elections. Uh, and so you can go state to state and the, the ballot could look different in every single state. Uh, and you only have to go back to 2000. Uh, I was only eight then, so I don't remember it super well. But I teach government now and we talk about it a lot in the election of 2000. There was the hanging Chad nightmare in Florida. And so the presidential election was sort of up in the air in terms of who won because of the way the ballots were designed in Florida in 2000. So, again, I was wanting to look into the particular design of the ballot here in Wisconsin. So if you're voting non-electronically, which means you got a paper ballot, uh, which includes everyone who got an absentee ballot, you might notice that the ballot is pretty cluttered. You have a large white piece of paper. It's about 16 inches long, so a little bit longer than your standard standard size paper. Uh, but immediately your eyes are just like bombarded with a ton of text, different font sizes. It's multi-sided. There's two different languages, English and Spanish, which is obviously good for equity reasons. But uh, actually, what I found in my research is that the U.S. Election Assistance Commission, uh, which is this federal commission that like helps out local election commissions and design ballot and designing their ballots and so on, they recommend that ballots use one language per item to meet usability standards and to display no more than two language simultaneously. Which I mean, you can you can make the good point that that makes it difficult for folks who don't speak English or Spanish to yeah. vote here in Wisconsin. But again. Going back to the ballot, this first column includes the instructions for the actual ballot and a party preference section. And folks, this is important, all right, because a mistake here can mean your ballot is not counted at all. So August 11th is, again, a partisan primary, which means it's a vote for which candidates you want to represent your party in the general election in November. Wisconsin has an open primary. Not all states do, but that means you can vote in whatever party primary you want. You don't have to identify as a person of that party. You don't have to be a Republican formally in order to vote on the Republican side of things. Same thing with the Democrat. But you can only vote for one party's candidates. So again, this is important. If you want to vote on the Republican side of things, you can. But then you need to vote on the Republican side of things for each specific position. There's no flip-flopping between the different parties. So Ben, what happens if I do accidentally vote for a Republican and a Democrat? Yeah, so it's kind of a good question, Sam, but it's a little bit confusing because if you end up identifying in the party preference section, which literally asks you, like, which party are you identifying in? Mm -hmm. If you if you fill in the circle for the Republicans or the Democrats or the Constitution Party, which is the third party on there, they only count the positions you vote for in that party. But say you leave that party preference section blank and you vote for the Republican primary and the democratic primary none of your votes will be counted 
Okay. And even if you do have a preference, there's still a chance if you vote for both parties that they'll just throw your ballot out and won't count it. So the big takeaway in terms of design here is that you're going to see a ballot that can seem a little confusing, a little overwhelming. The important part is is to identify which specific party primary you're voting in, which column you're voting in. And that's why I kind of suggest requesting an absentee here in Wisconsin so that the ballot is mailed to you and you can just chill out, drink a LaCroix while you study over the ballot like I did. Make sure you don't make any mistakes. You can read the directions they send you. But even if you didn't do an absentee, I recommend visiting myvote.wi.gov. And you can actually look at what your ballot will look like ahead of time to avoid any confusion. One last thing to just quickly talk about in terms of ballot design is that the order of things really matter. Some research shows that the candidates with low name recognition who are first on the ballot tend to benefit from their position in being first. So literally, which name is first, right? One study saw that going from last to first, so just changing the order of a candidate from being second or third on the ballot to being first on the ballot raised a candidate's vote share by 10 percentage points. Okay, so this again is for those those positions that people really aren't paying attention to, not for the bigger named ones, um, which are some of the ones we're going to talk about here. Uh, but depending on which name is first uh, can really change who wins or loses an election. In Wisconsin, the order is random for most elections, not in the general. In the general, the ballot order is determined by which political party's candidate received the most votes in the last general election, which is kind of odd and can actually impact results a bit, but we won't get into that. All right. That's a lot, I'm sure, but that's all I have for ballot design. Thank you for that, Ben. Um, So the takeaway for August 11th is to only vote for one party and to request your absentee ballot if you so choose to do that now. Yes. Great takeaway. Yeah. And so now that we know a bit more about the design about the ballot and we know to pick just one political party and that it's kind of cluttered and kind of like make sure make sure you know what's going on. uh, Let's talk about the actual positions. Uh, Ben, why don't we start with you since you had to do some research on Congress and state assembly? We'll kind of go from the 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 national stuff down to the hyper local. Yeah. So your representative in Congress is one of eight people from Wisconsin who represent you at the national level in the U.S. House of Representatives. This individual is the one who will be responsible for voting and passing legislation at the national level and other important functions like oversight. So I think I, I think of uh, the House of Representatives really important role right now is as a branch that provides oversight to the executive, to, to President Trump in this case. Um, most Milwaukeeans will see a familiar name on their ballot for Congress in District 4, and that's the district most of our listeners will probably find themselves. Again, there's eight total, but most of Milwaukee's in District 4. And so on the Democratic side, you'll see a familiar name, Congresswoman Gwen Moore. Now, the reason why partisan primaries are so important are because in districts like ours that are overwhelmingly Democratic, the partisan primary is where the actual election is decided. And although there are two Republicans in a primary for District 4, realistically, whoever wins on the Dem side of things will win the election in November. And Gwen Moore is such a fixture in Democratic politics. She actually has no competitor in her primary. So who is trying to run against her in November? Yeah, so despite things not being super competitive on the Republican side, there is a contested primary between Tim Rogers and Cindy Werner, who actually both ran back in 2018 as well. Tim Rogers bested Cindy in 2018 by a little under 2,000 votes. But again, Gwen Moore beat him handedly in the general election in 2018, getting 75.7% of the vote to his 217 
So Gwen's been representing the 4th District since she won office in 2005. She's definitely a formidable presence in Milwaukee Democratic politics, and she really hasn't had a legitimate threat since taking office 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, t- about Tim Rogers and Cindy Werner? Yeah, so Cindy Werner, from her website, is a small business owner. She owns the Great American Comfort Shoes Incorporated. Uh, she's a Christian, mother of seven, grassroots Republican activist, civic leader, former school board trustee, Army veteran. Uh, you can visit her website to learn more about her. Both her and Tim are pretty uh, similar in terms of their positions on things. Tim Rogers from his website says says that running for political office is not how he normally spends his free time. He worked for 30 years delivering gift baskets and newspapers for two local businesses. Outside of work, he spends most of his time volunteering in the community and participating in the All Saints Catholic Choir and the Milwaukee Public School Alumni Choir, which I didn't know they even had an alumni okay. choir. Um, and again, both like pretty standard in terms of Republican positions. Neither of them, surprisingly, but maybe not surprisingly since we're in Milwaukee, but it seems like a lot of Republican primary folks are like pro-Trump uh, Republicans and like are trying to make themselves stand out because of their support for President Trump. Neither of them seemingly from their website are like all pro-Trump or anything like that, um, but they have similar Republican positions like being against a woman's right to choose and in support of things like school choice here in Milwaukee. So those are some of their bigger platform components. Thank you for that, Ben. Um, so that's Congress, um, but we all know that Bridges City loves to hype up the local elections. What about things um, at the state level? Yeah. Uh, beyond Congress, you also have to vote for candidates in your respective assembly district. Uh, now, there are at least 14 districts within Milwaukee County. You can kind of include others that are half in Milwaukee County, half out of Milwaukee County. Um, but the important thing to know is that these elections are hugely important. Sam, how many times have you talked to people, whether older people at the city level or other community leaders who brought up the importance of the state budget or state laws? Oh, all the time. So like nine times, I'd say like nine times out of 10 almost if I'm talking to a local um, local official or like an older person or a community leader, they're going to bring up the state budget or state law. Um, and part of that, I mean, cynically, they could just be because they, you know, it's politics and they want to like pass a buck and look for someone else to blame. Um, but also, I mean, legitimately, like the city and especially the, like the uh, MPS, Milwaukee Public Schools, um, does get a lot of money from the state. And so, you know, the state budget and state laws and that money comes with strings attached from state laws. So, you know, it's it's definitely it's definitely important. But to answer your question uh, a lot, like almost every single time um, yeah. it, it comes up, even even when we're not talking about like state specific issues. Yeah, exactly. Same for me. I remember. Uh, almost every single older person we interview on Bridges City ends up referencing the state budget at some point and the fact that revenue from the state has either stayed the same or gone down and how a lot of the um, a lot of the revenue constraints facing the city of Milwaukee that the city of Milwaukee faces are based in state funding so super important elections happening throughout the city at the state level and remember the winner of these partisan primaries often goes on to win the win the general election. So you should treat this August 11th primary, especially for the position of assembly people in Milwaukee as the general election, because most of the time they end up going up, whoever ends up winning here ends up winning in November. Um, And so we're not going to have time to go through each 
of the specific candidates running for each district. So like I said, there's close to 14. So I encourage you to look up that particular race if you look up any after this episode and figure out whether or not your district has a primary and who you want to vote for. And that's all I got. Vote. All right. So next up on the ballot is our district attorney. And I believe John Chisholm, um, who was on Bridge City Podcast a, I don't know, a couple of years ago, almost at this point, um, but is the current DA and he's running uncontested. Casey, is that is all that true? Yes, definitely very true. I love that we've been doing this for so many years that we can say years ago. We had a guest yeah. years ago. Um, yeah. Shout out to Bridge so City. What does the DA do? Oh, wait. The DA stands for <laughs> district attorney. I get that. All right. Yeah. What does the district attorney do? Um, yes. So the district attorney is one of the most powerful people in our criminal legal system. And you can think about it by remembering the three P's. So the DA prosecutes criminals who break the law. They work to prevent crimes from happening in the first place. And they protect and support victims of crime and make sure that their voices are heard. So someone is arrested, the DA carefully reviews the facts and evidence, and then they only file the criminal charges that they believe can be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. So they prove the case, and then the judge and jury convict them. Um, when we say convict, we often think about jail time, but that's not always true. So it's also the duty of the DA to have fair and equal justice, and also justice that is smart and reflects the needs of society. So besides jail time, um, the DA office offers can offer special courts programs that still offer that accountability, but also supportive services that ready that ready the criminal um, for re-entry into society rather than recidivism or going back to jail. And that often includes mental health, housing, rehab, etc. Yeah. And so the DA has gotten a lot of attention lately, given the current climate around politics and police reform and so on and so forth. So I imagine this is like a hotly contested race, a lot of people running for DA. So you would think. Um, but actually, John Chisholm is running uncontested. Um, he has had a few um, Republican opponents in the past. Um, but for this upcoming race, he is running uncontested. And yeah, it has been in the news um, a bit. So he's been there since 2007. Can you talk a little bit more about his justice reform policy since that is so topical right now? Yeah, for sure. Um, so when he was elected to office, he pretty much immediately got to work changing perceptions both inside and outside the courthouse. Um, and this is like a small pool of people. There's only like maybe um, a dozen so-called progressive prosecutors offices around the country that are trying to reform justice. But right in 2007, he allowed independent researchers to examine um, his office. This was the Vera Institute of Justice, and they spent years questioning his staff and looking at the files. Um, and they found some pretty gross statistics that are not unsurprising in Milwaukee. Um, to share some of that, prosecutors in Milwaukee declined to prosecute 41% of whites arrested for possession of drug paraphernalia compared to 27% of blacks. In cases involving prostitution, black female defendants were likelier to be charged than white defendants. And in cases that involved resisting or obstructing an officer, most of the defendants were black. That's 77 percent um, and male. So as national and local media and public perceptions pushes back against mass incarceration and equity issues, um, Chisholm has really become a national example for working towards new systems. So recently, and this was in 2019, um, a 62-page report on the Milwaukee County DA's office. Um, this was released as a part of an ongoing project by researchers at Loyola University and Florida in and Florida International University aimed at advancing fairness and transparency in local prosecution. This report showed that race now plays little to no role 
in prosecutions by the Milwaukee County DA's office. Um, but in a comment to the journal Sentinel, Chisholm stated that the report doesn't mean that there's no racial or ethic, ethnic bias in criminal justice overall, but that it reinforces efforts that his office has taken over the past decade to use data to identify and address what prosecutors can do to lessen it. Um, and like I said before or earlier, that this progressive DA movement, he says, is a very small room, right? So there's, again, fewer than two dozen large prosecutors' offices in the whole country that are trying to reform the system in this way. Yeah, so it sounds like Chisholm has made a name for himself in progressive circles around prosecution. Uh, but how are things more recently? Sure. Um, so the DA office has been getting a little bit of publicity around the Black Lives Matter movement. If you guys remember, this is a few weeks ago, Vaughn Mays, um, who heads Community Task Force MKE and has been a leader in the BLM protests, was arrested um, on like a Monday afternoon, right? And then the protesters hung outside the courthouse and had like a, a party and a protest on Monday night and Tuesday. Um, and in the morning, Tuesday morning, they were able to convince like that resistance and also um, the, you know, call from the community was able to convince the DA, DA's office to release him. And so the DA's office put out a release um, that they were going to be reviewing the MPD's charges against him and, um, that there would be an additional review in the weeks ahead, right? Um, so that's one example of where the DA is interacting or we, we see that in the public eye. And as you guys also might remember, there is a call to justice to um, the Wabatosa Police Department um, to prosecute Officer Joseph Mensa. Um, and in a recent Wall Street Journal article, they actually got a um, Jay-Z and his social justice organization put out a full page ad asking the DA to prosecute Mensa. So they have larger roles in in that, but also in you know helping to create policy and different justice reforms around criminal justice. Thanks, Casey. It is clear that the district attorney is an important position, a little less heavy lifting for the voters, given that District Attorney Chisholm is the only person running on either side uh, of the aisle here. Um, but that's not to say that this position isn't super important and that we should still follow up with DA Chisholm when there are certain things we want him to pursue as a district attorney. I think in a lot of voters' mind, the county clerk might seem like a, a, a way less important position compared to the DA. But at Bridge the City and as a government teacher, I can tell you there's no unimportant position in government. And so let's learn about the county clerk. Casey, what'd you what would you dig up here? Yeah. Uh, thank you for thank you for asking. So the clerk is actually one of the oldest known officials in local government um, with its start in ancient Greece. And that title is derived from Latin clericus, which is meant a person who could read, write, and serve as a notary or recorder. The easiest way for me to understand the city clerk is to consider them as an office manager, right? So they're not buying the post-its or planning um, the office potluck, but they are the person in charge of the rules and what goes where and staffing those meetings. And they are basically that um, the information clearinghouse for a county government. They look that position looks different across the U.S. Some are elected, like ours. Some are appointed. Some are clerks to the governing board only, and others have responsibility for carrying out many services for the residents of the county. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about what the county clerk does in the in Milwaukee County. But if you move, make sure to research what their responsibilities are and wherever you move. 
So in Milwaukee, as I said, the county clerk acts as an information clearinghouse for the county government. They administer oaths of office, maintain the central files, reports, records, contracts. This is where you get your marriage license. You can register as a lobbyist. Um, they accept applications for passports and they sell like MCTS bus fares, DNR licenses and permits. Um, and they maintain that legislative files, the ordinances, they publish new ordinances online, they staff the county board meetings, um, and they provide online access. So this is like, you know, who you call when you want to get on the list to a party, which you also don't have to include, Ben, but that's what it made <laughs> me think yeah. of. They know all the, they know the ins and outs of, of the county government. Casey, I also, one thing I love about the clerk and that I think makes them super important is that yes. that whole that last part about how the clerk is responsible for maintaining, but also like publishing and making accessible the, the behavior of the County board of supervisors and like right. what the County government is doing. That to me is huge because one of the biggest complaints I've had uh, throughout my life in terms of my interaction with government, is just how inaccessible government sometimes feels in terms of what's going on, right. what meetings are happening, who's doing what, who's saying what. And so a good County clerk can make it even easier for people who live in the county to access what the county board is doing and what our county is doing just broadly. So um, it might seem like they're sort of unimportant to some people, but um, not so much in my mind. But I'm wondering who is the current county clerk? Yes. So the current county clerk is George Christensen, um, and he is the only nominee for this election. He is a lifetime resident of Milwaukee County, and he was elected in 2016. Wonderful. Okay, George Christensen. Looks like he's going to have an easy election ahead of him. Any other recent news related to the county clerk? Yeah. So in my research, I realized that along with the Wisconsin Election Commission, George Christensen also was the one to coordinate deployment of the National Guard service members to assist with in-person voting and polling sites throughout Milwaukee County during the April 6th election. Um, so that's an, another you know important and heavy lift that someone needs to do and that we look to George Christensen to assist with. Wonderful. Thank you, Casey. Sam, you still there? Absolutely. All right. Now, if you weren't excited about the county clerk, because I know I was, hold on to your rockers here, folks. The county register of deeds. Register of deeds. It sounds like some archaic uh, position that doesn't mean anything to you, perhaps, but it means everything to you, or at least it should. Who's responsible for telling us about the register of deeds here? Yeah, that that would be me. And like you said, if you if you are excited about the county clerk, uh, you're going to be really excited about the Register of Deeds. Um, it's very similar to the Office of County Clerk in that it specializes in like record keeping, like government accountability, but it specializes in vital records, so your birth, marriage, and death certificates. So kind of just like you know those huge milestones in in your in everyone's life, I guess. And uh, and Sam, real estate wait, records. Wait, I got to interrupt. Did you find out the origin of the word register or like the position itself? Did you do your research, like Casey? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I did not find. You, you failed us. No, I'm kidding. Continue. Plus twenty points for Casey. Yeah. So I am. You know, I am present focused um, because this is what's on your ballot, August 11th. And so I just wanted to get straight to the information about um, what the Register of Deeds does, and that's. And that's, again, specializing in vital records. So that's their birth, marriage, and death certificates and real estate records. So like deeds for land parcels, financial documents, corporate documents uh, surrounding land and land management, um, all those kinds of things. All, all the stuff we lose sleep over every night, I'm sure, all of us. Well, well I'm, I'm getting to the exciting part, I promise. Because you think this, I, I can already tell, register of deeds, paperwork, 
you think it would be uncontested because maybe no one, you know, no one wants to do it because it's it sounds boring and it's not a very high profile profile office. But this actually is one of the one one of the things on your ballot that actually is contested this August, and it has been involved in some recent controversy. It's yeah, I was a, gonna say, Sam. I, most of the yard signs I've seen around my where <laughs> I live in Bayview are actually uh, for register of deeds yeah. candidate. So, but. Before we get into the current candidates, you got to tell us a little bit about what happened previously with our, our friend John Lefebvre. Is that how you yeah, say his name? Yeah, either Lefebvre or Lefebvre, honestly, I'm not sure. But uh, I will say, I'm going to say John Lefebvre for here. It could be Lefebvre. Um, but John Lefebvre, he, he actually held this office for a long, long, long time. So he was elected in 2003 um, and had it all the way up until, and was reelected continuously until 2019 when he left office after being charged with running a false invoice scheme and essentially what he would do is he would ask companies and there was one company in particular that he went to a lot um, but he asked companies to run um, false invoices for years um, like half of his half of his term in office he was doing this um, totaling 2.3 million dollars and this is all according to the FBI um, in their their charges against him he didn't you know, surprisingly enough, he didn't actually personally benefit from this. It wasn't like he was wiring this $2.3 million, you know, to his own personal bank account. Um, it was all to make it look like the department was spending more money than it actually was. The reason being because if the department, you know, if the department was spending, showed that it was spending less money than it said it was, um, that money would go back. The department wouldn't see that money the next year. Um, and so I have to lay people off and everything. And, but the excess money would go back to the county's general fund, which is basically like a reserve pool of money for the county that usually just like relieves people's property taxes. So all this is like runs false invoice, this false invoice scheme for years, totals about $2.3 million. Um, he actually pled guilty last June and he could face 20 years and up to up to 20 years and a $250,000 fine. But don't don't worry, John, you will still be receiving a pension. He still receives a pension from the county of Milwaukee. You know, dis- despite all this, so wow, yeah, riveting. That I was that actually is fascinating. I had no idea about any of this, Sam. So yep. thank you. Yeah, neither did I. I didn't expect any of this to um to unfold in in my research. But you can see why the office needs to earn back trust of the public, and that might be why you're seeing so many signs for County Register of Deeds, both because it is contested, but also because I don't know, maybe maybe those folks were really you know have been following this controversy and like. Um, what the incumbent is has been doing for the last year. So in May of 2019, Governor Evers actually appointed Israel Ramon to the office, and he still holds it today. And he's on your ballot. He's one of the two um, folks running for this on your ballot. He was attorney. He was an attorney before becoming the Register of Deeds. And I've had trouble finding like specifics on what he's done, but a lot of language around reforming how the, as you might imagine, how reforming how the... Uh, how the office of the register of deeds does things as far as like accountability, transparency, instituted new rules relating to the payment of invoices, shocker, handling of disbursements, cashiering procedures, um, and this is all coming from local media coverage. So he's running on continuing those reforms, and interestingly, he's also the first uh, Latinx constitutional officer, according to the Victory Fund. And by constitutional officer, I mean like a position that is like specifically mentioned in a city charter or a county's constitution or a state's constitution. So Ramon, if you ask Ramon, and probably um, you know folks with Israel Ramon signs in their yards, um, he's doing a good job over yeah. these last couple of years or Sounds this last. Like it. Year. 
But not everyone's a fan, though. Um, John Weishan, who is a the current county supervisor for District 16, which is mainly um, in West Allis, has actually filed to run um, against Ramon and will be listed on the ballot uh, as well. As far as like why he might be running, some clue might be might you might get some clue from an Urban Milwaukee article from May 12th, where he said when asked whether he thought Ramon was doing a good job, uh, Weishan said, "I would say we have a different style of doing things." I tried to look up exactly what his what the differences are that he sees between himself and Ramon and wasn't able to find anything doesn't mean is you know they're not out there but um I wasn't able to find it he does one thing I was able to find he does highlight the issue of voter rights um and that aspect of the office and this has been an issue for him he since he was a county supervisor he's involved in anti-gerrymandering in the anti-gerrymandering board while a supervisor and he said, and I think what he's what he's going for is that the the county is looking to institute this new this program around real ID. So it makes it makes it a little bit harder to get an identification, but it allows you to. Um, it's a little bit more robust of a of an identification. And once that program, that real ID program, is rolled out, the register of deeds will be the office that holds on to all those records. And so I think what he's going for is that he's really he I guess he doesn't like the way uh, Ramon plans to hold those records or 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 something because he's he's really he's been pushing this as an issue of like why he's been running. All this is to say the Register of Deeds has been an unusually high profile position recently, and it's one of the only contested races for a seat within the county. So I would recommend looking looking a little bit more into these candidates and honestly looking more into the position of register of deeds because it's more interesting than you might think. Indeed. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. I feel bad for that one. Um, I think Bridge of City might actually try to reach out, uh, not in time for this episode, obviously, but to the folks running for that. Just try to figure out more of their differences if possible. So keep yeah. an eye out for that. Because it, it is uh, unusually high profile, uh, very important position, and like you said, one of the only contested ones. But we're not done with the ballot yet, folks. Don't you worry. Bridges City is here to cover things fully. And so there's something else on the ballot. The treasurer. This is the person that like hides local treasure around the Milwaukee County parks and yeah, then it- like asks people to see if they can find them. Is that what they do? It's your friendly neighborhood uh a pirate, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, they're really no, into geocaching. They, yeah. <laughs> they just hide things everywhere. Um, yeah, no, no, yeah. So, a treasurer. <laughs> I don't know how to transition from here. But no, that's here all right. Um, so, county treasurer. I'm not going to spend it nearly as much time on the treasurer as I was for the county records of deeds because. I guess, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, there's a lot less drama going on in this office recently. Um, for one, it's this uh, race is not contested. So the current the current treasurer is a uh, guy named David Cullen. He's been a uh, treasurer since he was elected there um, in 2014. He's been a politician before that. He served in the uh, state assembly, I believe, in the 90s. Um, but he he's the only one on your ballot this time. Um, not really relevant to the position of treasurer, but um, the deputy treasurer's name is Rex Queen, which is really, really freaking cool. Um, for yes. those of you, yeah, for those of you who, I don't know, maybe take in Latin or for some reason know what Rex means, um, it's it means king in Latin. So his name is like King Queen. So you know he's born to lead. So he's definitely our future treasurer. But at least for this point, <laughs> at this point, um, just David Cullen on the ballot for uh, treasurer. And really what this office does, um, three main services. The main, the main one is property tax, delinquent property tax collection. So 
kind of like a city treasurer where you take it, essentially they're in charge of collecting taxes and um, tracking all the money that comes in and out of the city. Um, county treasurer does the same thing. So the treasurer's office is charged with collecting delinquent property taxes for 2017, any year uh, 2017 or prior in all Milwaukee County municipalities except for the city of Milwaukee. So essentially everywhere except within the city of Milwaukee's boundaries. Basically, this means that like if you owe property tax on properties outside of the city of Milwaukee, the, you'll, get an, uh, you'll get a notice from the treasurer's office. Um, they also the, do... Um, and Sam, yeah. sorry to interrupt. The reason there is because there's also a city treasurer who does the stuff right. for the city right. of Milwaukee. Exactly. Correct? Yep, yep. So the city's already covered by the, city, by the city's own office. So the county treasurer um, you know, focuses on outside the city. Other things they're going to do, this office does, is um, they run the sale of foreclosed property. So again, if you owe property taxes, but then you um, can't pay them, and you have to um, give up your give up your home or give you know give up your give up your property, then they'll they'll sell it through through that office. And then the last thing is like unclaimed funds. So like so let's say I I did jury duty, but I didn't get my 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 daily stipend. Um, I can go to the treasurer's office to kind of track that down and, and get the money I, uh, I owe for, um, you know, ju- doing jury duty, or they also do like bail payment or like bail reimbursement, um, things like that, um, that runs through the treasurer's office. Um, and I think that gets us through the whole ballot, which I mean, but there's a lot on the ballot, a lot of important things. Uh, also something we want to talk about, I think Casey, right, is, uh, the importance of this upcoming election in particular. I see right, you got some right. good stuff there. So do you want to just leave listeners with uh, a sense of like what to expect with this upcoming election, um, given kind of how wacky our last election was? Yeah, wacky is a great way to put it there, Ben. Um, but yeah, so considering the COVID-19 pandemic um, in preparation, the city actually received a $2.15 million dollar um, grant that will help pay for PPE, poll worker recruitment, and a $100 raise for poll workers. So I think, and Ben, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the um, with the wage is like maybe $234 for the whole day, um, which is a significant increase from the year prior. Um, and this will ultimately help reduce the burden on taxpayers um, while helping the city prepare for the fall 2020 primary, one on August 11th and general elections. And that's something that President Johnson said um, in a interview last week. So when you get there, you can expect masks, both for workers and voters, um, face shields, hand sanitizer, disinfectants, and social distancing. Um, There are going to be 177 um, polling places as opposed to the usual 180. So while you might, you probably will be in the same spot as you voted last year if you live in the same place, definitely do check online at myvote.we.gov to make sure. But I also want to bring up, and we talked a lot about um, absentee ballots in the beginning of this, but if you do intend to vote absentee and you need a reason to, you know, why to do that right now, there has already been 743,908 mail-in ballots requested as of last Tuesday morning. Um, To compare, in the 2016 August primary, there were only 645,619 total ballots cast. Wow. That's a a huge, huge number. And does that mean, you know, all these people, obviously now they're not going to show up in person, but that could definitely mean that we're, you know, we're at least doing more than we were in 2016. And 
the um, election commission has a lot of work on their hands. So do request those as soon as possible. And like we said in the beginning, do your best to fill it out correctly. So in Wisconsin's April primary, slightly more than 23,000 ballots were thrown out. And that was mostly because those voters um, or their witnesses missed at least one line in a form. So and because we haven't been doing this for very long, um, the some election experts, you know, they're not surprised by Wisconsin's ballot rejections because we don't have high by mail voting rates. And so we're prone to making errors. So just be careful. Tell your friends and double check your check, double check your ballot. Thank you, Casey. Folks, you got me excited for the election. I think that one of the easiest ways to participate is simply showing up one day every few months and filling in some bubbles. You even get a sticker. Uh, even Made <laughs> even easier now by requesting a ballot online to be sent to your house. And like I said, you can drink your LaCroix uh, or your $17 latte. Um, hey. and, <laughs> uh, and you can vote in the comfort of your own home. But uh, I think that's it, right, folks? That's all we got? All we got. All for me. Okay. One of the most frequent action steps we hear from our guests is to get out and vote. We hope that this episode has been informative and that you feel ready to vote this uh, and you feel ready to vote by Tuesday, August 11th. For anyone who missed the deadline to register to vote online, don't worry, you can still register to vote or update your registration in person at the Election Commission office at City Hall or um, at any early voting site through uh, the Friday before the election, which is August 7th, or on election day. So Wisconsin is actually pretty unique relative to some other states in that you have a lot of opportunities to register to vote even after that deadline to register online. Um, of course, it could be made even easier in some ways, some would argue, but uh, really no excuse to not vote, to not get registered. Remember, you do need to re-register if you've moved at all. Right. So and there's directions on how to do all of this stuff. Myvote.wi.gov. Sam, do you think there's or Casey? I mean, both of you have been with us long enough. Do you think there's a website that we've referenced more frequently besides our own, of course, than myvote.wi.gov? I could I think be we probably, Patreon. Ha. Oh, yeah. I Sorry. Think we probably <laughs> reference. Uh, no, I think you're right. I think we probably reference myvote.wi.gov more than our own website honestly yeah, uh which sam now that you say that bridgecitypodcast.com check it out uh check us out on social media please rate comment share bridges city with your friends back to the election though vote august 11th if you want to vote early you can too at the frank p zeidler municipal building named after former mayor i believe uh 841 north broadway avenue room 102 uh, Manitoba School at 4040 West Forest Home Avenue, Midtown Center, 5700 West Capitol Drive. That's all on myvote.wi.gov. We should like, I feel like we're advertisers for that website, which is great. We all should be. Sure. Uh, all those locations are open from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday and Saturday through Sunday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Just in case you're working throughout the week there. On August 11th, Casey you already mentioned 171 polling locations, which is more than the, what, like four before uh, in April. So right. make sure you turn up and vote. That's the action step, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. Be. Okay. Any other things for our listeners? And if you like what we're doing, consider supporting us on Patreon at the $4.14 level. And of course, let us know how you are helping. Bridge the city. city.